Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Leaves of Today podcast. I'm Jordan, and I'm joined here today with Philip. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm super excited. Philip is um, my pastor, but he's also one of my friends and uh, mentor and your professor. I am a professor, yes. What's your school called? Baptist Bible Baptist College? Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. But that's where you went to school, right? That is exactly where I went and got my undergrad. Super cool. I'm super cool. I'm super excited about this conversation. Um, but first, we're just going to tell a story. So do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Um, I'll let you go first so I can get an idea of what you want me to say here. Oh, gosh. I, I, have my, I have my story picked out, but I'll just have just, to. Just you go first, then. You go first. No, I like it. You can go first. <laughs> I have so many stories that I could tell. And I was trying to think of like a good story to tell. I was like, should I tell you about tell them about the time when you bequeathed a chair to me? Or I, I bequeathed uh, a green lazy boy chair in my will? Or, um, I don't know. Uh, we launched the, or we watched you get launched from the four wheeler one time. That oh, was yeah. funny. That yeah. was a lot of fun. You like returning too fast, and then you flew off. That was fun. <laughs> but I think that the greatest story that I can tell that is probably peak Philip is when we went to Missouri, and so we drove to Missouri, and we were taking RV back to one of his friends because he was buying his friend's RV while they were, where were they in China? They were in China, yeah. Yeah, they're missionaries in China, so. That he was borrowing their RV, and so we drove it back. And on the way there, we always play the alphabet game. <laughs> so on the way there, we played the alphabet game once. And somehow, by the grace of God, I ended up winning. And then I don't think we've played the alphabet game since then. No. I'm pretty sure that I, I won that game, and then, no, he won't play it, play it anymore with me. Well, we haven't really gone on a trip like that again. Sure. We didn't plan on the way home? or Because, like, that was in 2020? And you graduated that year. Well, mm-hmm. no, you were graduated. Yeah, I was graduated. So like you haven't, I was in you, school. you haven't gone to camp or with us or Mm-mm. anything. And so it's not been like you, we've had opportunity to do that. I'm still going to go with I won. So yeah, no. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Um, well, now I don't even know what kind of story to tell. Well, just tell the same story. The same story? That you're going to tell. Well, I didn't know if I had. Does it have to do with you? Mm-mm. Well, not everyone's story is about me. My mom was on. Her story was not about me at all. What'd she talk about? She talked about, this is a sneak peek in the future. Okay, <laughs> okay. We, won't, we won't talk about that one then. So I, um, in 2019, was whenever I graduated with my doctorate. And you had your uh, fancy dress on. Yeah, I had my fancy uh, headdress and like that weird, it looks like a stop sign on your head, but it's like floppy. <laughs> but that, that's not really a part of the story. But and my wife told me that, um, you know, she does not want to move or she does not want to add anything else to our plate until my schooling was done. So I was like, okay, not a problem. And But I've always wanted to have land. So I was just driving out near our house about four or five miles away for some odd reason. I have no idea why I was on the road and I see this house and it says coming soon. And um, I was like, Ooh, that I like that house. It looks like it's falling down, but I like that it's on <laughs> land and it looks like it's going to be for sale. And I'm going to look it up real quick. And literally I found out later that day that that sign had only been out for like two or three hours. Wow. And so we're like leaving to go to my graduation, taking said RV that you just now talked about uh-huh. to Virginia to graduate to walk at Liberty University, 
and I said, Amber, there's this house, and it's five acres, and it's falling apart, which that's exciting. It's got a barn. It's got a pond. It's got all these things. Let's. Uh, what, do, what do you think about that? She goes, no, I don't think we should do that. I said, okay, <laughs> well, okay. And so we go to graduation, and in the middle of, um, you know, I think we're, I was down there, we were had some off time or whatever, and so I, the realtor, I, I had called her and left her a voicemail and told her, that, hey, we might be interested in this, <laughs> which is totally me, because my wife was like, no, we don't want to do that. It's like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do whatever I want then. <laughs> <laughs> and so we literally, on the way home, I, I, I had convinced her, maybe this is a good idea. And so on the way home, we started like talking about all the things that we would need to sell at our house to be able to make this happen. Because you know we have a four bedroom house, moving to a three bedroom house, and um, we still hadn't even seen the house yet. But by the time we get back, we had already determined that we're going to sell all of our bed sets. Like we had, we have two kids, and they both had two beds in their bedrooms. Like okay, we're going to get rid of the bunk beds in Nate's room. We're going to get rid of one of the beds in Penny's room, and we're going to get rid of two two couches, two uh, sectionals, and so. Literally, long story short, like she had said no, then I said I think we should, and then we come back from vacation and we do we 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 go through the house. It's got black mold. It smells awful, and a cat lived in it by itself. And I think you were a hoarder house. You weren't there for like that first walkthrough. I don't think. No, I wasn't there. You were there. I forget when you came through for the first time, but it was the first time right after you. Was right after closed on it. Mm -hmm, Right after they closed on it. And um, yeah, so we literally come back from vacation or from my, my graduation um it was over a weekend and on wednesday so i'm a 90 percent guy like you and i do a project i do like 90 percent of the project so like we didn't have any trim on the main level of our house but we had to i wanted to put it on the market as soon as we could mm-hmm. because we're going to grand canyon at the beginning of june and this is middle yeah. of may so i was like okay so we need to get all this done so i had some friends come over and like literally the stuff that i'd put off for Two or three years was all done in one day <laughs> with three people, me, TJ, and, um, and Matt. And uh, literally, so we go on vacation. We put our house on the market. It sells after they had accepted the offer on the other house. And, um, you know, we lived in the RV for a month. And it's just a, you know, kind of a fitting story for how I work because I can't just do anything um, easy. No. I think I do that to myself. I think so. I don't know why I do that, but I've just never – I don't like things that just happen easily. I don't think it's because I think it's because I don't want, I won't appreciate it more. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't know what that is, but you definitely appreciate. I mean, we all definitely appreciate your house more because there was so much that yes, we had to do. There's to so it. much sweat equity because I mean, literally, we closed on that house June 15th of 2019, and I had an army of like 25 people coming that night because there was 10 tons of trash, 20 so thousand pounds of junk in that house that we had to get rid of, and the barn was you know dilapidated had raccoon poo everywhere and it smelled awful coon and poo. Coon, yeah it, it was just awful and so here we are two and a half almost three years later and you know we still have a few projects that we're still working on but it's very livable we, we love it but that's just my story i mean like i said it that's just i i've enjoyed that and look, to be quite honest like i think it was definitely a god-ordained thing because whenever the pandemic hit in 2020 just mm-hmm eight, nine months, actually it would have been seven months later, eight months later. I mean, whenever the whole world shut down, like there was so many things, there to were do, so, so many things to do. Yeah. So I, I was not idle. I was not bored. I was not, I was worried about a lot of stuff um, because I'm a worrier. Um, <laughs> 
but I was able to put my you know hands to work and do things to to you know, occupy my time and um, that you know because you know as, as a pastor we you know we work with people but sometimes you just want a project and because you can see the beginning and an end of it yeah and um, that's kind of nice so anyways that's kind of my story and um, we've got five acres we've been cleaning it tearing down trees cutting down trees he's a tractor got a tractor got me a john deere love my john deere tractor it's pretty it's amazing yeah i have uh one of my favorite stories so i have a uh, I'll, I'll end my story with this but i came home on a sunday afternoon we had bought a golf cart and a four-wheeler and <laughs> the golf cart was kind of um i don't know kind of a piece it of was junk. janky it was, it was very it was, janky it was, it was a piece of junk but I bought it, and it was gas-powered. It was great. And it always had something weird going on. I came home one Sunday afternoon, and I think Nate or someone called me, and he's, Dad, Dad, the golf cart won't stop. Jordan's just driving around <laughs> in the field. And so I, I, come, I get on my tractor. I go out there, and, like, literally, we can't get the thing to shut off. We can't get it to go out of gear. So Jordan's just driving around <laughs> in this thing. And so I had to, I think, I think he jumped off, and I jumped on. I think we wound up. Having to like take the actually you guys had disconnected the battery yeah and it was still running didn't you take out the spark plug too no it, it would what did you it, take out um I don't even know what I wound up doing but there's a there's a uh, there was a grounding wire that had come loose that caused it to keep running and <laughs> <laughs> so I just remember Jordan just hey <laughs> it will stop and I was there was uh, no brakes on that either you no know, no there was no brakes so it's not like you could just stop it and. Um, you know, and it, yeah, so I, I got onto my kids and not, not, I was not mad at Jordan at the time, but I was just mad at the kids cause like they, cause they just drove this thing around like, and Jordan was just trying to get it to stop. And <laughs> my kids kept like, I don't know. It, it is what it is, but kids. Oh, that's funny. So you talked about getting your doctorate. Yeah. Uh, so what was your dissertation about? And my then I guess, why did you choose that to be your topic? So my dissertation topic, like the actual title is Cultural Kingdom Architects and um, why I chose that is because um, I, I would say in, in a lot of fields, there is this idea that you have to be successful and success always comes in numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I remember I was talking to a friend of mine named Scott. I, I, I sent him a text and he was a pastor at a church in Northern Virginia and I, and I, I, in, in my closing, because I'd ask a bunch of people, what should my topic be? And I said, hey, I'm praying for you that you fulfill all the things that God is, is calling you to do. And um, i trying to remember how I actually said that to him, because it's like, uh, as you're building God's kingdom, I pray that God um, shows you exactly what he needs you, you to do. And, and he responds after I close that. He says, maybe that's your topic. Maybe it's about being who you are, building the building a God's kingdom where you find yourself and not trying to create something different, but right inside of what God's kingdom is, um, find your space in that. Yeah. And so that's kind of where it went. So cultural kingdom architects, I mean, this idea of the blueprints, architects have blueprints. And, you know, so what are the blueprints that God has for his kingdom? And, you know, so whenever you have blueprints for anything, you are going to have different people that are fulfilling different aspects of it in the building process. And I mean, the book of James talks about, you know, submitting our plans to God. And so it's kind of like the way we would, you know, whenever we built the stage here at our church, we had to submit plans to the city of Gehenna 
we had to get blueprints drawn up so that we could build this 18 inch tall stage, which I thought was a little crazy, <laughs> but we still had to submit plans to him. And so, so the cultural kingdom architects is like, so if we are submitting our plans, um, you know, God has given us this vision and mission of we, what, what we see he wants us to do. And through his word, he, he kind of leads us and guides us. And so how do we find success in building God's kingdom without looking at standard metrics, which is a hard one because, you know, if you have more customers in business, I mean, that you're going to be more successful, mm-hmm. um, you know, just be on, a, on the numerical side. And so church, I think, is the same way. There's this thing, nickels and noses or bucks and butts. You bucks know, you, and butts yeah, is my favorite. You basically determine your, your value or your success or failure based on how many people are coming and listening to you talk or participating in a program that you're doing and how much money you're bringing in. Mm-hmm. And that is this, this uh, success paradox. I think that's actually one of the terms that is used in the, um, the keywords, the positivity paradox or, or this successful this paradox of success, because there's so many other ways that you can find success and you can find value in what, what you're doing. Um, you know, my dissertation a lot had a lot to do. I looked at, uh, I was actually at Liberty, I went there, um, I think it was the beginning of 2018, to actually do you know some hardcore work because I, I had to get out of you know my routine to go mm-hmm. to the library where all the books were. I could actually do some research. And, and I had basically gotten a ton of books on small churches, like the value of small churches or, the, or how I mean, things that, you know. And so I remember, I remember I checked all these books out and I found everything I needed and, and I went to return them. And they were like, so what is, what are you working on? I was like, well, I'm actually working on a, on a dissertation on how you can be successful whenever things don't on the, um, on the outside look like they are because yeah. of size. And, you know, so it, it, it all had to do with that and, you know, talk about church health and, um, you know, building God's kingdom. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of where it all started because I've seen large churches that are very unhealthy. Mm-hmm. But they would view themselves as successful because they have big buildings. Yeah, they have big budgets, they have big staffs, and they do a lot of great. I, I would say they do a lot of stuff. But what are they actually accomplishing? That's the thing when you get right down to it. Um, because there's, a, I mean, in church world or even in business world, just because you're busy does not mean you're being effective. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that have, there's a lot of things on the calendar. We have no idea what we're doing, though. <laughs> we're not really getting anywhere. You can do that in your personal life, too. Exactly. I mean, you can be full of things to do. But and go nowhere mm-hmm. with it. I mean, so I'm busy, so I must be successful. I'm busy, I must be being effective. And it's like, no. Not really. And there are busy people that are effective, but then we have people that are very, very busy with real no direction. And so this was really how to... Um, I would say also for a pastor is like, how do you feel comfortable in your own skin? Because a lot of pastors are trying to be like someone else business. You know, we have all these different models of business that, you know, you know, you want to follow this model or that model and church is the same way. Like, you know, if you want to have a church that looks like, you know, say elevation church in you know Charlotte, North Carolina, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, do things like he does them, but you're not Stephen Furtick. Yeah. You know, just like for, um, you have, uh, what's the one down in fellowship church and, Grapevine, Texas, down in Dallas. Like, you can mimic Ed Young all you want, but you're not Ed Young. Yeah. You are, I'm Philip. You're Jordan. The people across the street, they are, the, they are that pastor. 
And, you know, so we're not called to be anything other than what God has created us to be. So I went where I went to the school where I went to school was St. Francis Sales High School. And one of his quotes was uh, be yourself and be that well. And that was like mm-hmm. something they put on everything. But I really do think that's like amazing is really you just need to be yourself and then be the best at being yourself because you can't be me and exactly. I can't be you. Exactly. And it was I think it's uh, was it Walt Disney. Uh, be who you are say what you feel because those that mind don't matter and those that matter don't mind yeah. it's like you know you got to be who you are you got to say what you know do what do what you have been called to do um, and here's the thing if you don't do what you're called to do no one's going to do it mm-hmm. yeah and that's a loss for everybody yeah yeah and so so if you're looking at you know my right time or whatever to, to do something is like right now is your right time to do it. If you've been called to do something and, um, but yeah, this, um, it's, it's, uh, and it really has, um, you know, I, I don't really use my term, my, my, my credential. No, Dr. never. I, I did it. I mean, whenever I moved to Columbus, I was halfway through and I was like, I need to just go ahead and get this thing done. And so it started off as really just, I just want to get it done. And then whenever I did the, cause you know, like most academics, to me, I just want to get it done. <laughs> and the dissertation became more of a just the, just get it done, but no, something that was actually going to make sense for a lot of people because we are struggling. I mean, even with the pandemic in 2020, like people are struggling to figure out who they are and, and how do you how you evaluate success because if you're looking at people coming to your church and money, um, most churches would say, you know what, we are utter failures right now. Because numbers are down in a lot of areas, um, on the giving, on the, um, the the attendance and the participation, it was very down. So, you know, had had we not kind of gone through that in our own my own mind and my heart, and I shared that with people, I mean, it, we would have easily fallen into that trap too. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, no one came back, or we're we're down this or that, and so we must be failing. Um, but what we really found through the pandemic as a church is you know a lot of churches started focusing during the pandemic they f- started focusing on systems making sure that all their systems were in place and they were forgetting about the people mm-hmm. and what we did we focused on the people and we figured out forgot about the system and we didn't we didn't forget about the systems they were not priority because like you know you have to have systems to really evaluate yeah and you have to have systems that make sense to people so that people you know there's a there's a plan there's a direction but sometimes you just have to kind of set aside say you know what it's about people mm-hmm and um, life is all about people. I mean, you can't do anything alone. I mean. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, And every single, well, again, jumping ahead a little bit, but in every single podcast that we've done so far, literally everybody talks about how important relationships are. And I think that's so cool. It's Mm -hmm. so cool to see that everybody has talked about that. That has been such a key part of like leadership in everybody's, and and anything everyone had to say. Yeah. And it didn't matter how old they were because there's older people. I mean, you're, what 41 41 before super old this year. yeah you're super, super old. old you have back problems yeah <laughs> I'm barely able to walk today <laughs> but then there's other people with like madison and she's 19 and that was something that she talked about yeah. it's, it's everybody says how key relationships are and so i think that's so well, well that's also the fact that um where you're at today you didn't get there alone mm-hmm. i didn't get i didn't come to the conclusion that i wanted to pursue my doctorate alone i did not i mean at the beginning of my doctorate i have a whole laundry list of people whose shoulders I'm saying I'm standing on top of these people's shoulders because I could not be where I'm at by myself. I did not get here alone. 
Obviously, my wife Amber is a huge, huge part of it. And there are even people that are in that list of that I no longer have a relationship with. Mm-hmm. But if for whatever reason or another, I mean, we no longer are, are friendly with, towards one another. But they were still part of my the tapestry of my life. And I think I think we have to give credit to that, too. Yeah. Um, even even the people that you've interacted with that have taught you things not to do, they're part of the tapestry of your life, and that's part of a relationship, and they shaped who you are, yeah. good or bad. Mm-hmm. It's true. Uh, so how has what you've did through, through, or I guess talked about throughout your dissertation, affected how you lead Discovery Church? You kind of talked about that during the pandemic, but... Yeah, um, you know our church on a on an average Sunday runs one thirty to one fifty. I mean, on a big day we'll be you know closer to two hundred or whatever. And um, you know, so I obviously you want to have some metrics that you're kind of monitoring, but they're not the the story. They're kind of more of a tension that's managed, like you're just kind of watching it because they are indicators of other things. But it has helped me lead in a way that. I make decisions based on how it's going to impact people's lives, you know, short term and long term. Not, I'm not going to make a decision. Well, this will this will get more people in the doors, mm-hmm. because once again, it's all about relationships. And when I came to this church seven and a half years ago in November of 14, they asked me the question: "Is like, what are your goals for this church? Like, what do you what do you see?" And I was like, "What do you want? To, what do you mean? Like, well, how big do you want it to get?" I was like, "So you want me to give you a number?" of how many people you want me to, you want to see here. Like, I'm not going to do that. And if I do give you a number, it's going to be one because I want every single person that walks in these doors to leave better than they came. Mm-hmm. We are a place where people, we want people to find healing. We want people to find hope and restoration and redemption. And that's done collectively, but it's also done individually. And so for me, it's always been, I would rather have, I know this is crazy because we have a, you know churches all around us that, maybe run two or 3,000, up, upwards of five or 10,000 people. But I would rather have, I'd rather see 50 churches of 100 than one church of 5,000. And here's why, because the leadership that you find in those 100 different pastors or leaders of those churches, those if it's just one person or multiple leaders, you have more people using their gifts that God has given them. You've seen people get more involved because it's easy to become more of a corporate thing where it's it's you know once again it goes back to nickels and noses it's corporate mm-hmm. whereas as opposed to how many people are involved in in serving other people how many of your people the number that i love seeing in our church i mean obviously whenever we, we run our entire operation on donations and obviously it's great whenever you have a week where we met budget everything is great but the number i really like to see is how many people are actually involved in the stewardship mm-hmm. and the generosity of our church um, you know, when I came here um, seven and a half years ago, I think on a given week there may have been six or eight people that were funding the entire thing. Wow. Which is that, that I'm, I'm grateful for those six yeah. or eight people. But now on a av- weekly average, I mean, still, we're not a huge church. We're a small church. But we have between 30 and 40 unique givers every single Sunday. Some people give weekly. Some people give monthly. Some people give every other week. But on average, there's at least 30 to 40 people that give it. So that means there's 30 or 40 people. They said, you know what, the mission that this church is on, I want to participate in that. Once again, not the end of the story, but it is an algorithm or it's a it's a metric that we do look at. Mm-hmm. But it's not the number that they've given, but the fact that they're involved. Yeah. 
that's more important to me that they're involved in some way. Um, because there are people that they also, they'll give and they'll serve with strings. Mm-hmm. And I really don't feel like we have that. But you have to cultivate that. And mm-hmm. so those are some of the things that I've learned through this dissertation, the process and the things that I've I've kept, kept up with. And um, w- once again, just when you examine the metrics of it, like um, what do the metrics say? For me, once again, the metrics for me that are most important are how many people are involved. Because I'm not, I don't want to just build a crowd. I want to, I want to grow disciples. I want to grow people that want to grow other people. And I think we have so many programs here that help foster that yeah. goal. I mean, our RD groups, we have our RD groups, we have our small groups, we have um, all of our, not children's ministry, our young, well, our children's ministry, youth group, all those kinds of mm-hmm. things. There's so many different things that we have here that the goal is to yeah. um, foster relationships and like have others step into um, a position of being servant leaders. Yeah, that, that, that's that's the role. I mean, I remember um, was it a couple of years ago. It was at the end of, I think it was at the end of 2020, going into 2021. You and I did a message together um, for the last Sunday of the year. Yeah, it, it was, was online. On, it was online. It was yeah. online. It was David and Goliath, and we were talking about um, they might be giants, but they don't have to be. And someone actually told me, someone who had been was newer to the church. They actually commented that they were watching it with um, one of their relatives. They said, isn't that kid kind of young to be talking on a Sunday morning? (laughs) And he told me, this guy told me, he said, well, one thing that Discovery does, they really value youth. And we also value, you know, people that are older. Yeah. You know, the blue hair. (laughs) Um, But but we the but we value youth because if, if we abandon the youth, we do not allow them to be involved. Um, we lose them. Mm-hmm. And once again, it comes to relationship. I remember, you know, whenever I first asked you to do something, this is, you were in, I think, sixth grade. And yeah, and I, I asked think you, so. And I asked you to take care of, you know, help on Wednesday night with the youth program and help create the presentations and run the media and all that stuff. And it's like, and, you know, that one question, I think, it opened a lot of doors for you. And so I try to do the same thing. And I want more voices from people. I'm not sure how we got onto all that, but it doesn't matter. I, uh, I was doing a project, I think my senior year, and it was like outlining or outlining different people have changed your life in different mm-hmm. ways. And that I had three people and I think you were one of them, but you were also the first one yeah. because I, f- I am the way that I am in so many ways because of your leadership yeah. and guidance and you, you show up at my house quite often <laughs> in my notes earlier. I, I don't. I didn't say it, but I put in there that you're the owner of the couch that I sleep on the most. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, what do you think the most important quality in leadership is? Okay, so I remember, and as I was preparing for this, and um, and I got my notes for, but I got the questions last night about ten thirty. Sorry, uh, but it was, but it's not a problem because this is the this is natural conversation, because. Um, but I remember whenever I was in one of my co- my courses for my doctorate. My, my doctorate is in leadership, mm-hmm. uh, pastoral ministry and leader, management and leadership. And one of the questions they ask you, we get an entire, it's a, these it one-week modules, eight hours a day for five days. We had one day, I think it was a Tuesday of that week. Okay, your job today as part of this program to define Christian leadership. And you know, so ours had the caveat of Christian leadership, mm-hmm. but, but I think you just, you can take Christian off and just do leadership. And what was the question again? I want to make sure I answer it right. 
Uh, it is what is the most important quality okay, in leadership? Go, go. Yeah. So leadership. I, we we had to define leadership. We had to give a presentation later that, like how we actually did a five or ten minute presentation on one word was was crazy. But everyone, you know, had a had a had an insight to it, and the the most important thing that I found in leadership, the uh, thing that the most qu biggest quality is, is uh, servanthood. Yeah. A, a leader is a servant first. Mm -hmm. The people who are the greatest leaders in our world today that have pe people actually following them, guess what they once were? They were a follower. Mm -hmm. They were someone who served um, you know, at the pleasure of someone else. And that's something that I think if, if our political leaders understood that humility, servanthood, is the pinnacle of leadership. So I just started a book called The Secret Society of Success, and that's pretty much the whole like topic of the book. Mm -hmm. It starts out, and he talks about how he um, has like worked for all these different people. Well, he starts out and says says that he wanted to um, be a, a artist and a singer, mm -hmm. and that's what he like strived towards in, in his early times. And then he realized he was better at managing like mm -hmm. tours and stuff like that, so he became a manager. And then like he's just worked for a whole bunch of different people. And he's like, honestly, I get so much more out of w like helping these people spread their message yeah. than I would if I did it on my own, especially from the beginning. And I think now he's kind of finally starting to become his own mm -hmm. kind of person, but he's like literally just helped all these different people his whole life. And that was, that's like the whole premise of the book is that you have to be a servant to you being a servant, um, helps you in your leadership, like yeah. helps you become a better leader. I mean, think, think about success. I mean, success, the people, I mean, take it what you will. I mean, these, these you know, artists, um, sports figures, and I mean, I, you know, I don't want to give any one specific name, but like, think about how many people it I takes. you are going to say somebody. <laughs> Justin Bieber. Oh, okay. <laughs> but think about all the people that it takes for that person to actually do what he does or who yeah. LeBron James or like, they don't do it on their own. Mm-mm. But just like I said earlier, you are where you are. You are who you are because someone else has helped you get there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think sadly a lot of people sell their soul to get that into process, leadership yeah. in that process. They literally give up who they are. They give up the character they have. They give up the integrity they have so that they can attain something so that other people will view them as successful. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. Um, but whenever we come at from a position of servanthood, um, like in, like in churches, like there's always, you know, this, there's sometimes this desire to be on the deacon board. What does the <laughs> word deacon mean? I don't know. Servant. Servant. So a deacon. Oh, so you're going to be on a servant board. You're on a servant board. <laughs> there's a reason why churches don't call it a servant board because who wants to sign up to be on a servant board? No, I want to be a leader. I want to be a decider. I want to be someone who makes decisions. So we don't have a deacon board. We, we have an elder. We have an elder board. Um, but the elder board is, it's a little different the way it flows and functions because we're all servants. Mm -hmm. So if I had a servant board, I mean, think about how many people we, it takes every week, I think 40 to 45 people to run discovery church. And so wow, they're all servants. I yeah. mean, so and I think every one of our elders like serves in oh. more than one place too. Oh yeah. Ev every single one of them. And you know, part of the, you know, the process for someone being an elder at our church is, they have to be doing several things, and um, you know, obviously, there's some biblical qualifications. But one is they have to be serving in a ministry somewhere. Mm -hmm. This is not okay. If you become an elder, then you will serve. No, 
you be serving before somewhere you become an elder. You know, so there's like these prerequisites and servanthood is once again with leadership. Um, I think of all the people in scripture, the people that were the most humble are the ones that God called to do things. I mean, the most broken, I mean, they come from the, the, the toughest situations, obviously. I mean, you have these different people. I mean, I think like Joseph, like, yeah, you know, Joseph in the old Testament, um, he's the youngest of all the, of all the siblings and, um, he's the favorite, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, he goes from Joseph in the coat of many colors. Joseph in the coat of many colors, and I mean, he he's sold by his brothers into slavery, and ultimately becomes the the second to that of Pharaoh in Egypt. And, and he uh, went to prison like two or three yeah, different times yeah. after he had because been sold into he had character, because mm-hmm. he had integrity. And but I mean, he but he he knew his position in the in the rank of of where. I mean, he was, you know, he was he was there for someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, he was not, and so, anyways, I mean, obviously, that's a he was in that situation because his his brother sold him. Mm-hmm. But then you get to the story later on in the, in the Genesis where, he, you know, he he interacts with his brothers again, and they're afraid that he's going to you know, have him killed for what they did. But he extends grace to them, and um, you know, so I think you have to remember where you come from um, as as a leader. Uh, that you're not there by yourself. You didn't get there on your own. Um, other people helped you get there, and um, I think we should always be, have a servant, a servant's heart too. Um, even in our group this morning, we we're talking about people that have stumbled and and failed as leaders because they get in their own way. They, mm-hmm. It's about ego and pride, and what can I, you know, what can I get out of it instead of what can I give to this? Yeah, mm. it's true. So what is your goal for the church long-term? So obviously, we have, I think when you first got here, probably went through like a decline just because of different leadership. But I think since then, we've been growing steadily. So what is your goal for just the future of the church? So, you know, when it, the, if there was a decline, it was very, very slow. Because even the, the pastor I, that I came in after, I mean, one of the things that he had encouraged people to do is like stick around for a year. Mm-hmm. Because transition is going to happen change is going to happen and you know i also did not want to change everything too rapidly because you know whether we wanted you whether we wanted to admit it or not i mean um you know the, ch- the church was you know a little unhealthy and it had some issues with you know its own leadership and, and with the direction it wanted to go because it really had no direction mm-hmm. um you know we've just continually grown even through the middle of um you know covid we have grown and um, I'm not just saying in the numbers, but I mean I think in understanding of the vision and the direction and um, my my long term goals for the church because we're actually you know this next round of leaders that are going to be coming on as as our elder board are really going to be coming the ones who um, I don't know what the word right word is but like cast the long term vision for mm-hmm. the church. And our church is 12 years old in its current form, but it's actually it'll celebrate its 70th year. Um, next year in 2023. Oh wow! Yeah, because it it was launched in 1953, but um, this next group coming in, and so once again, the idea of success and everything—it's like, oh, we want to have our own building because we're in a business suite next to you know two uh, a liquor store and a <laughs> and a brewery and a, a cocktail mixer shop, which we, we don't mind that. I mean, it's cool to have you know our neighbors, and we, we're really good friends with all of them, but we're in a business park and. Um, you know, so one of the goals I have is I would love to have a standalone facility. You know, that's a weird, is that a, a goal or is that a vision? What is that? It's like, because I, I want a church to be a place where people can come to and I want to have green space. So that's one aspect of mm-hmm. it. That's just a very tangible, like, 
you know, in the next five, 10 years, if we were to have our own standalone facility, that would be awesome. But um, the one of the, my goals that is, uh, I would say more, I'm not saying not, not ha having a building is not spiritual, but like uh, one of the things that if we're called to do, we're called because a healthy church reproduces. A health, something healthy reproduces. I would love to start a church in the next five years. Mm -hmm. um, and whenever we say start a church, this is not going to be a daughter church where I'm like, we're like the mothership and we're giving birth. It'd be a sister. Like yeah. we want to launch something that's autonomous, that it's its own thing. And, you know, I would love to grow the church to a point where we can, you know, easily um, peel away roughly 100 people and start a plant another church. Once again, going back to the 50 churches of 100 instead of one 5,000. Mm -hmm. I'd rather have two churches of, you know, two, 300 or, or and, you know, even even we give it more churches than that. But um, but with more people involved in the process, going back to the giving side of it, I'd rather have more people involved than just a ton of people spectating. Yeah. Mm hmm. You know, so um, planting a church in the next five years would be a huge thing. Um, you know, we just now jumped through a huge, um, you know, step of faith for us in hiring a, a full, another full-time person. Um, our, new, our new next-gen pastors. We're excited to have you, Josh. Oh, it's, I'm so excited. I, uh, I mean, it, I'm really excited because there's a lot of things that I've been doing and kind of feel like that guy spending all these plates. And mm -hmm. um, but it, it's it's been a good process, good good time to understand um you know the the role understand the needs and so if we you know we ask and direct things to be done a certain way i mean i have a I have a greater understanding too mm -hmm. so but those are just a couple of the things i mean i have you know short-term goals too i like about new chairs for the auditorium but you know it's that's, <laughs> a, that's not really is that, is that a goal or that's new just carpet a, yeah new carpet. I mean, we just you know those aren't those are not goals those are just kind of like yeah if it happens it happens yeah yep so do you think that leading people um, in the way they've been talking about, outside of just focusing on the numbers, do you think that that is something that only um, is a good thing in ministry? Do you think it is, can affect people, things, or situations outside of ministry? It, it affects everything everywhere. Um, because the other thing is, you know, one of the things I, I, I have to even watch myself is because it is easy to view people as stepping stones to get you where you're going. Um, they help you get there. I mean, so you build a relationship with this person because they can get you that, or, mm -hmm. you know, you have this person here because they, well, you don't have to do this thing anymore because you can have them do it. And so I think servanthood and always being willing to do anything and, um, you know, serving other people. I mean, you know, you know my, one of my spiritual gifts is, is acts of service. I've always, um, that's always been my thing. Like, you know, I'm, as a pastor, I mean, one of the things that I do um, I, obviously I serve people at this church. I mean, I get a paycheck for it, but I, but I mm -hmm. serve people. And I, I would say that I'm somewhat unique because I'm not a golfer. I don't like sports a whole lot. And so like, you know, a lot of pastors, they'll go, they'll go, go sports, they'll go golfing and they'll do that. That's kind of where they do some of their ministry, mm -hmm. but I would rather go to someone's house and help them with a project. I'd rather go to someone's house and, you know, just spend some time with them. And the amount of times that I've like gone and just helped you what some random person's house just doing anything. Mm -hmm. We put in fences, done bathrooms, uh, I think we did a deck yeah. one time. We used to clean out people's yards. And you know, so for me, I, I think if if more people and I'm not I don't want to say that to pat myself on the back, it's because that's the way I'm wired. I enjoy mm -hmm. those things. So I'm also deriving something out of that too. Yeah. So does it come from a place of selfishness? It, it feels like it could because <laughs> I like doing those things and uh -huh. this person needs help. So I get to use my gifts. And so, but I think if more people, you know, use their gifts that they've been given 
not to elevate themselves, but bring themselves to a place of servant to serve. Because it's funny because I'll do side jobs every once in a while. I'll help somebody with electrical wiring for their house or plumbing or whatever. And it's like, and there've been a couple of where it's like a side job where I'm actually getting paid for it. I don't like it. Yeah. It feels like actual work. Yeah. Whereas if I'm just doing it as a, a, from the goodness of my heart, I like it a lot more. Yeah. It's so weird because I, I, I helped this family install like, you know, several outlets and sconces and a fan. And, you know, like it was a paying gig and I, I felt weird like charging them. I was like, I do this for people in my church for free and I'm yeah. charging you. It, it, it just felt weird. But I think if more people just served other people mm-hmm. and were kind to people, and like the gifts that you've been given um, have been given to you for a reason. Um, so whether you're in business in the secular world or you're in a Christian in the, the Christian world, I mean, the, Paul says it very clearly. It's like, you know, make sure you're serving people, especially those in the, in the household of faith. You know, so here's the thing. It's like in business, like if you're a Christian business leader, I think you serve people and you serve them well, as in the, Paul also says, as you're doing it for the Lord, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think, I think more people just need to be kind and generous with their time and be less selfish. Yeah, I agree. Um, what is something that you wish you were asked about more often? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Looking at that question now, it's like it doesn't it doesn't have to be anything um, there. Just you know, I'm I'm 41. Um, old, I'm old, <laughs> and um, I don't know. That's a weird one because. I don't ever feel like I've arrived. I feel like I'm always learning. Um, but there's a lot of people that, you know, start um, churches. and um, But because of my age, I mean, you may experience this too. Because of your age, like people almost dismiss you. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, he's not that old. He hasn't been doing it that long. Um, and I've got, I've got some deep experience in a lot of things, in, in ministry specifically, um, and I'm not saying it's because I have done anything great or I have these huge accomplishments, but I've seen things done well and I've seen things done poorly. So just from firsthand experience, maybe not me being the leader of something, um, I've seen people that, you know, I've, I see, oh, I see what you're doing there. It's not going to work. Yeah. And, but because of, you know, my youth, <laughs> I remember whenever I came to discovery, one of the elders at the time, his name was John. He said, okay, I'm 65 years old. You're 33. What do you have to offer me? (laughs) I said, my favorite TV show is the Andy Griffith show. (laughs) (laughs) And because, I mean, like, I I feel like I'm an old soul, but I I would say um, that's a weird question because it's, because like I said, I mean, I'm looking at the, the, you know, what are things you were asked more about podcasts, nonprofit, business, accomplishments, et cetera. It's like, it's like, I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's fine. That was a good answer. This you next, didn't, this didn't even have to. What yeah, book are you reading right this now? This next one right now is funny because <laughs> speaking of the Andy and or Andy Griffith show, there's actually a book I'm reading right now. It's the story of Andy and Don. Don Knox. Really? Yeah. Um, I've I've just gotten just br- very briefly into it. I bought it like a year and a half ago. And I, I remember just, when you bought it, you're super excited. Yeah, about yeah. It. I, but I just now started. But I, you know, once again, relationships. They had a deep, deep relationship. Yeah. And if you follow that story, I mean, he, Don Knotts only was on for five years because that's, he didn't think the, sto- the show was going to last more than a couple of seasons. So but he signed up for five. And then he was going on doing other movies. But like, 
they had a great relationship up until the day that um, Don died and then Andy died, you know, a few years ago. Mm. But that's one of the, and that, that, that's a kind of, that's a secular read, but, um, you know, I just not got done reading a book on, uh, it was on leadership. Um, forget the, <laughs> I forget the name of it now. Um, I was reading it with a bunch of other guys and, um, and just talking, it was, it was talking about some of these, these principles we're talking about now. They're coming at it from a little bit different perspective, you know, kind of giving you, here's the, here's the way to do this and here's the way to do that. And, and I can appreciate that. Um, it's a, it's a difference between growing a church, you know, organically and, you know, that what they call the church growth movement, where you put in these strategies mm-hmm. to grow your church. It's like, well, this, the best strategy to grow the church is be faithful to God and do what he asks you to do. Yeah. You know, I think, but business is the exact same way. Be faithful to God and, you know, and yeah. So, mm-hmm. so those are a couple of the books that I'm reading right now. Um, you know, the last, you know, what, three years since I've graduated with, with I, I've, I've been able to enjoy more uh, recreational reading. Um, not for school. Not for, <laughs> not for school. And, and there's that one group, I, like I said, I, I've, I've read several books with that other group of men, um, you know, kind of keeps me on my toes. To, and, and this group of men, I mean, these guys are anywhere from, I mean, I'm the youngest at 41 all the way up to like 75 or 80. And, you know, the different, it's really cool to see them, you know, even whenever we're, re- we're discussing the books together, the different things they get out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even at, even at, you know, close to 80 years old, they still are learning. And that's, so that's, cool. what, that's, that's what I want to be. Um, you know, yeah. Bob Criswell was one of them. He, he moved to, I think, South Carolina recently. Okay. But he, I mean, he's, he's almost 90. That's crazy. And he read, he reads these books and he's like, he's always learning. He's always sharing his insights. And that's one of the things that I, so I'm. On Wednesday mornings before, uh, well, before we came here this morning, uh, we have our men's group, and it's a bunch of older guys. I mean, not older, not like 80, but I mean, they're probably in their 40s. The oldest oldest ones are 65. Okay. 63. Whatever. Bob. (laughs) Bob. Bob. Um, And they just, we all read the same Bible verse or passage, Mm -hmm. and um, we usually do like a chapter a week, or a, yeah, chapter a a week. I almost had a book a week. We read a chapter a week. Well, we're reading a book a week right now because of just one chapter books. Yes, yes. But we read Jude. Jude. But they have so much insight of, like, there's things that I could read it, and I would never get that out of it. Well, I'm the same way. so cool. And I'm the the pastor. (laughs) (laughs) He did air quotes. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) It's like, oh, Corey, where did that one come from? Steve, where did that come from? Yeah. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's incredible. That's why you need multiple voices, too, in your, in your, in your, in your leadership. Mm Mm-hmm. You need different people um, from different perspectives. And we have people from electricians to carpenters to plumbers, handymen. We have a, I didn't realize that. We have a lot of uh, the trades that represented <laughs> that, that group. And we have a fireman. We have myself and a mailman. mailman yeah. We have a Chick-fil-A worker. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we have a bunch of different people from different uh, – and, and, you know, every, every insight's valuable. Yeah. It's true. So each week we do, I have a different quote, different quote for every week. Um, and this one is by Cecilia Chan. I'm going to try to read it very goodly. Oh, my computer just turned off. There it goes. Um, I can read it if you want me to. You read it, yeah. Discuss the quote of the day. <laughs> you start after that was there, part. Was there a period? Of that, yeah, there was supposed to be a period okay. there, yeah. Church is not where, but who. Church is not about the place, but the people. Church is our home. Church is about the people and the relationships um to discuss that is um you know this idea of church is not where but who 
you know, there's a there's a common misquoted thing where two or more gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. Uh-huh. That people think that's you know, you just get a few people together and Christ is there. That's actually the Matthew 18 principle. Um, whenever you have a disagreement with someone, and um, you have to, you know, that their person disagrees, you go and take it to someone else, and and if those they agree, there Jesus says that there I am with them, mm-hmm. not small groups are, you know, but yeah. anyways, that's not literally what the point, but, but it is the who, <laughs> um, well, there, there's another quote that says, um, it's a family, it's a family you belong to, not a place that you go. Mm-hmm. Um, everywhere you go, you are the church. Um, so mm-hmm. where, where you work, I mean, if you work at the post office, the church, the church is at the post office, yeah. the church is in government, the church is that Chick-fil-A? Is it Chick-fil-A? It is really a Chick-fil-A. Um, <laughs> um, the church is at, you know, wh- wh- wherever it, wherever you go, um, the church is our home. Church is about the people and relationships. And so there's two dynamics of the church. Obviously, you have as we go out into um, what, we call, what we call, quote, unquote, the world, and we um, just do our life that 24-7, 365, like we're at work, we're doing our thing. But we are the church everywhere that we go. Mm-hmm. That's the who. And then you have the aspect of the church that gets together. And um, this family that you belong to, it is our home. Um, we are on the same mission together. We are um, heading in the same direction, our fifth value, uh, culture of common pursuit. And, you know, that the who is like that's what sharpens each other. And, you know, as, as I, I said this morning, like when whenever we are together, we are, I mean, the sparks are going to fly at times. Because sharp and iron, sharp, iron, iron sharp, sharpens iron. iron. And so it is a people um, because there's a lot of churches. I mean, it's in, the, in the world, they, they meet at a home, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's in China or Iran or wherever. I mean, they're meeting in homes. And so it's not necessarily a place. It's a people. It is, it is who we are. And it just so happens our people gather at 750 Cross Point Road, Sweet L, yeah. on Sundays and Wednesdays and any other time we get to. But the groups also meet at houses. They meet at Panera. They meet at Chick Fil A, and mm-hmm. you know. So it is a people, and so the the you know just like the scripture is an active, living, breathing um, document. I mean, I believe the people of God are a um, active, breathing, and and we we are a, we are an organism together as well. And so yeah, it is definitely about people and relationships because once again, um, Jesus always interacted with people through relationships. He never said anything pointed to anybody unless he had a relationship with them, mm-hmm. except the Pharisees. But anyone else that he know he 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 interacted with, he would try to cultivate some sort of a relationship with them mm-hmm. um, to understand them a little bit. Yeah, but relationships, yeah. So, how do you measure success as a leader of today? That's the last question. How do I measure my success as a leader of today? That, that's a hard one. Um, I mean, I have all these metrics that I have, you know, put in. Um, I was, I, before we started, I went back and looked at the, the reframing process of success um, for me, um, you know, in the way that I do it. And it's funny because I don't remember the exact words, but if I had to go back and look on page 105 of my dissertation. <laughs> um, the way here, these are the suggested steps for Im- implementing um, evaluating success in the way that we see it today. Um, these are here just kind of a bullet point, but we communicate openly. We talk about what's going on. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we talked about that this morning. We don't hide things. We do, I mean, we're very transparent. So I evaluate success on the people that are involved in that process, the people that are, that are wanting to be transparent, the people that are wanting to, um, you know, that, that's the thing. We have to communicate openly. Um, if, because if it's only one person making the decisions, you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. Relationships are important. Um, we have to acknowledge that Jesus is in the room. Um, we have to realize that Jesus is at the top of the pyramid. Mm-hmm. If we're in a pyramid scheme, Jesus is at the top. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is at the top. He is the great shepherd. I am an under shepherd. Mm-hmm. Um, I take no, um, I'm not frustrated by that. Yeah. Because here's the thing. If something fails and I've done everything I know to do to be faithful, it's not on me. I know that mm-hmm. sounds weird, but God has called me to be faithful. And if something does not work out and I've done everything I know to do in my power and I've done it well mm-hmm. and it doesn't work out, I mean, because here's the thing. If I take ownership for the when things happen well or t- whenever, whenever things happen poorly, I will also take ownership when they go well. Mm-hmm. So, Jesus, you were at the top of this. So I evaluate success on reminding myself that Jesus— this is about you. It's not about me, not about Philip. Align your, we align goals with Scripture. We have those five core values that are based on Acts chapter 2. Um, everything that we do is going to flow through those five values, but they're also going to flow directly through Scripture. What are our five values? Our five values, biblical, um, we, everything has to do with culture, mm-hmm. culture of biblical um, truth. So it's not, I mean, there's, a, there's a modifier for every word, so biblical truth, because um, we live in a day and age where your truth is your truth. You can... Whatever you think is true can be true to you. Mm-hmm. you know, it's not a lie if you believe it. But culture of biblical truth, um, radical hospitality. No, no, that's number four. Uncommon grace is number two. That's my, my favorite yeah. one. Uncommon grace because grace is one of those things where we are um, uh, afforded something that we don't deserve. That is what grace is. We are given mm-hmm. something that we do not deserve. We've been given grace. Someone in our relationships to get us where we're at, to help us where we're has given us grace. So we need to be doing the same thing. Uh, that, that second value has this line in it that says you're going to be encouraged to grow, but you're not going to be judged for your pace. Um, Katie, Katie Scott, a girl that was here years ago, she lives in Charlotte now. She's the one who actually said that after a, one of our services. And she mm. said that I, I asked her, can I use that in our one of our values? And she said, yeah. And I still have to pay her royalties for it. And I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but no, um, but uncommon grace, a big heart of sacrifice. You know, a lot of people look at church and say they only want money. And, you know, the, the reality is, you know, nonprofits can only lead, can only do what they do if people give mm-hmm. and so that people can get behind that mission, that vision. So, but we talk about bib- uh, uh, un- uh, sacrifice, big hearted sacrifice, because um, it's easy to give leftovers. You know, if you have a leftover from a meal and you see someone on the side of the road, oh, these are just leftovers, you can have these. But whenever you sacrifice, whenever you work for something, it's going to mean more to you. Mm-hmm. You're going to want to be more involved in it. And so sacrifice also is our time. That's a commodity that everyone has the same amount of. Money is a little bit different. You know, everyone has a little bit different. And, you know, what Second Corinthians 9, we have, to, we have to give it. We have purposed in our heart what we've decided. You know, you've already have a, an idea of what God has called you to do. And I'd be faithful in that. Um, number, th- number four is radical hospitality. Um, you know, the, the call to to us is to be hospitable to anybody and everybody. Mm-hmm. Are there people that do not in our, in our world's term deserve our hospitality? Sure. But we are to give it anyways. Mm. Hard sometimes. Yeah. But we do. Even people that have wronged us, we give them, we are hospitable towards them <laughs> and we roll our eyes. No, I'm just kidding. 
And then common pursuit is our fifth value. And it's where we um, lock arms with people and the mission and the vision that you're um, pursuing in your life. Um, we want to be a part of that. And once again, going back to no one got there alone. Mm-hmm. Now let's put into practice this idea of helping someone get where they're going. Like for instance, we hired our new youth pastor, next gen pastor. And you know, I, 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 I hope that whoever comes to work with us, our church stays here for a long time. But I told everyone that I interviewed, I said, here's what you're going to get from Discovery Church, and f- specifically with Josh and Sam. I said, what you're getting from us is we want Josh and Sam to be the healthiest version of Josh and Sam. Mm-hmm. We want to get Josh and Sam where God is taking you. If yeah. that means you're here for two years and you go somewhere else, we want, we want to be a part of that common pursuit with mm-hmm. you. We want to get you where you're going. This is not a catch and keep. It's a catch and release. We want to make sure that people are healthy. We want to make sure people are following what God has for them. And if we're part of that journey, that's a huge blessing for us and a blessing for them. Yeah. We should not try to keep someone captive mm-hmm. to make ourselves, to make our jobs easier. Mm-hmm. Because if we're really doing what God has called us to do, um, you know, Jesus was about releasing people and empowering people to do the ministry. And if we um, want to just keep people and never change, I mean, it's you're going to die. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You have anything, anything, any last words you want to say? No. (laughs) No. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, You've been done so many great things for me and I'm so thankful for you. And um, I don't know. I don't even know how to express my (laughs) gratitude towards you and your family and Amber and Penny and Nate and all of them. And thank you guys for listening. Um, We will see you next week. Peace. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.